0: please have that passage in Matthew open in front of you and our text this morning is verse 21 but we'll look at the passage as an overview as well and we know that as the season of Christmas approaches beyond all the tinsel and all the other things that are happening for the believer we can reduce in the truth that the Lord Jesus Christ appeared to take away our sin you know it is right to say that God shows his love for us in the Incarnation, the coming of the Son of God, but it's not enough just to say that. In fact, the Bible says very clearly that God demonstrated his love for us not simply by sending Jesus as a baby in Bethlehem, but as his own word says and makes it plain, God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And that's why we should never get caught in the idea that You know, Christmas is kind of a sentimental nod to the love of God, as though his son came to a manger but never hung in agony upon a cross. God's love at Christmas can only be understood in that Jesus came to be the Savior. And if we don't understand that, if we don't grasp that, we miss the very heart of the message. And so I want for us to consider the way in which this is laid out right at the outset of the New Testament, and the first thing to look at is this genealogy, this this necessary line, and uh, we were looking at this on Wednesday, but we asked the question, you know, why begin the New Testament with a genealogy? You know, it might not strike us as the most inspiring thing, but all the, the promises throughout the Old Testament were looking to the fulfillment, They were all there in anticipation of the coming Savior. And then as the Old Testament closes, you then come into the New, this list of names. But actually, this opening couldn't be more fitting because this genealogy of Matthew draws the line from Abraham to David and then at last to Jesus as the one who fulfills all these promises. And we are instantly brought to see that here is this line of promise. It's a a real line. You know, that this isn't just fairy tale or or make-believe or all the rest. You know, this is grounded in history. These are, are real people, the facts of Christmas. And you can trace it all the way through the Old Testament. Christ in all the scriptures, the wonderful unity of the Word of God. And these names show the line of blessing leading to the Lord Jesus Christ. And friends, they also teach us the very faithfulness of God. You know, you think he had promised to Abraham those 2,000 or so years before that there would be one who would come from his seed in whom all the nations of the earth would be blessed. It's fulfilled in the Lord Jesus. You see, God's promises are true. And it reminds us that all of God's words are going to come true every promised blessing, every promised judgment that God has made will certainly come to pass. And here in these names, we see the truthfulness of God and the faithfulness of God that every word that he speaks will certainly come to pass. You know, it's so vital that we don't just skip over these things. And also one more passing comment on these names. We haven't got time to go into great detail, but notice that amongst the family nine, you have have names like Rahab. Rahab the harlot in the, the book of Joshua. Ruth the Moabitess, who was a pagan by birth. You know, names of some of the kings who have been very wicked men before the Lord dealt with them, like Manasseh that we consider recently. But here they are, and they're in the, the family line of Messiah. And all of these ancestors of Christ, they were sinners, everyone. And yet our Lord was not ashamed to be born into such a family. You see, he doesn't shun sinners. Such is the grace of God. Jesus Christ came into the world to bless sinners. And it's only when we're, we're brought to realize our condition that we are sinners in need of a Savior will we then begin to see the beauty of the gospel and the great mercy it was for the Lord Jesus Christ to come. And so with these things in mind, let's come now to the focus of our text, verse 21. And I want you to see the saving plan of God. And she will bring forth a son. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. You see, the Lord Jesus came according to God's wise and eternal plan. You know, what you see unfolding before you is no accident, it is no chance. It is not something that just, you know, was haphazard. Everything was planned. Everything was worked by our sovereign God in his great purpose of salvation. You know, we've considered in recent times, the right time was appointed by God. The Lord Jesus came, not a day too soon or a day too late, but at the right time, Galatians four four, when the fullness of time had come. The Bible says, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman born under the law to redeem those who are under the law this stunning moment in history that God had ordained and appointed from eternity you know before time began to send his son into this world to redeem and save sinners like us. it's a staggering thing you know and we need to see the greatness of it, the depth of it and I wonder if you notice verse 17. All the generations from Abraham to David, 14 generations. And then David until the Babylonian exile, 586 BC, 14 generations. And then from the Babylonian exile to Christ, 14 generations. God measuring all things in perfection. All worked out according to his purpose. And you know, what is interesting is this. When you consider the lives of those mentioned you know, those who are brought before us, it didn't seem like that. You know, as, as with our own lives, you know, in the situations that they faced, there were many challenges at times. You know, things seem chaotic and desperate and, you know, running away, anything but ordered. You know, they have problems in their relationships, problems with their children, problems of work and war and disaster and in the nation. And then they had all their own shortcomings and their sins. And they had their lives to live and and their problems to face, just as we have today. And, you know, the things that come to us that make life seem so, so complex and at times overwhelming. But when the right time came, the Savior stepped down into this world to accomplish this great rescue plan. And you see, through all of it, through it all, over it all, in it all, the great God was bringing about infallibly, certainly, assuredly His purpose to pass, and it teaches us that it's the same in our lives too. You know, maybe you're looking at your life at the moment, and it seems, uh, you know, chaotic, and you know, there's so many things, and you're struggling to know how to deal with this or that. When we trust the Lord, we can know that He is in control, and that we can rest in Him. And we can know that even when we're at the end of ourselves, he is working to bring about his purposes for the good of his people and the glory of his name. You know, the saving plan of God. And then I want you to see the perfect provision of God. Look at verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. You know, we have this, miraculous conception, and then the birth of Jesus. You know, everyone knows, don't they, that there has to be a a father and mother for a child to be born. But here, there is this miraculous exception. You know, there was no earthly father to the Lord Jesus. As one explains, Christ, as to his human nature, had no father, and as to his divine nature, he had no mother. Jesus Christ, according to the teaching of the Bible, is both God and man in two natures, one person forever. And so he took our human nature in order to suffer and to die for us. And to do that, he had to be born of the Virgin. And Mary, as a a young woman, was engaged to be married, but as yet, they had not come together as man and wife. And while still a virgin, Jesus was conceived in her womb by the very power of God, the work of the, the Holy Spirit. It was a miracle. And he had to be born in this way because if he'd been born of two earthly parents, as with us, he would not have been sinless. Sin would have passed to him as it does with us. But our Lord Jesus had to be sinless and pure and perfect and holy without any defilement. And if he had been a sinner in any regard, he could not be the Savior. But this miraculous conception, born of a virgin, was the way ordained of God. And the scriptures explain that Mary had the great blessing of being chosen for this role to, to carry this precious baby and to bring such a warning to the world by natural birth. The miracle is in the conception. And that which was born of Mary then was the Son of God, human nature joined to the eternal, everlasting God, the Son. And these are deep truths. You know they're wonderful truths. And we affirm the truth of Scripture, and we are only there to bow in worship and adoration. Now, let me just answer one question that I was asked recently. Was Mary a virgin forever after that? The teaching of the Catholic Church, and actually some of the early church fathers, even some of the Reformers, was that Mary forever remained in that state. They call it the perpetual virginity of Mary. And I would say that it's led to many false teachings about the role of Mary and other superstitions arising from that. And quite simply, I direct your attention to verse 25. It says, Then Joseph, and he goes on, did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Please underline and make sure you recognize that word, till, until, making it plain, that they were normally man and wife after the birth of Jesus. They resumed normal relations as man and wife once the child was born. It's very simple and family life went on in that way. So the perfect provision of God, all planned, all brought about, the sinless Savior. And then verse 21, the name that is given by God. And this is so important. This is really the, the key I want you to grasp this morning. This name appointed for him, from heaven, Jesus, Savior. You know, it's so vital. I mean, it's so straightforward, and yet it's so vital. He has that name because he is coming to the world to do one thing more than any other. You know, you could look at the life of the Lord Jesus. He was a miracle worker. You know, you could see the perfection of his life and the the wonder of his example. You know, he was the greatest teacher and preacher who ever lived. He was everything good, but these were subordinate to his great work, which was to save sinners. You know, the message of Christmas says to us, the message of the Bible, that we are unable to save ourselves. You know, that we are so lost that that nothing less than the death of the Son of God himself can save us. You know, it means this morning, you know, you can't sort yourself out. You can't just turn yourself around. You can't live a a moral and a good life and somehow meet God's standard of perfection. The Bible says, no, we are lost sinners, sinners in the hand of an angry God, and we must soon all die. And the great question is then, who will save us from death and the grave and that which follows and the judgment? And the answer is this, Jesus Jesus, the Savior, you know, that's why he came. He shall save his people from their sins. And I ask you this morning, have you you looked at the Lord Jesus Christ in that light, my friends? You know, have you realized that was why he came? You know, Jesus did many wonderful things. You know, he raised the dead before the eyes of, of men and women who were witnesses. You know, how exceptional and staggering that must have been. You know, but that wasn't the main reason he came. He didn't come to astonish men with his great power. You know, he could still the storm at a word. He could command the wind and the waves to be still, and they would obey him. But he did not come to astonish men with wonders like that. You know, there was a time when the Lord Jesus was teaching inside a house with a, with a flat roof, and the crowds had, had pressed in to hear him, and you know, the, it was just absolutely rammed with people. And a paralyzed man was carried on a stretcher by four friends, and they wanted to, to bring him to Jesus. And they couldn't get in because he was so full with people. And so they saw the steps up the side of the building. They went up on the roof, removed some of the tiles. Maybe you know the, the account in the Gospels. And they lower the man down on the stretcher. And they lower him to the feet of Jesus. And the teaching is interrupted. And the people, you know, they're staggered. They're they're taken aback at what's happening. Now, these men have brought their friend to be healed. And they believe that Jesus could heal him. But it wasn't the first thing that the Lord Jesus said to this paralyzed man. Rather, in Mark 2, he says this. Son, your sins are forgiven you. Now, why did he say that? You know, why didn't he heal him physically straight away? Well, he would heal him. But the point was this, he had not come first of all to be a healer, no he had come first of all to be a savior of souls. And he came to, to wash away our souls from sin and guilt by his blood that he would shed on the cross. You no, know, that's, that's the great purpose of Christ's coming. It doesn't matter how many nice thoughts that you might have about Jesus Christ. You might well say he's a great teacher. You might say he's a a wonderful man or a miracle worker. And even though those things are true, it won't help you. You know, you do nothing for your own soul until you believe in him as Savior. And the name given to him is Jesus, the Savior of his people. And the question is, is he your Savior this morning? Because he's the Savior that we need. Now, let me explain that a little bit further. Every one of us is a sinner. You know, the world won't tell you that. The world will, will not in any way tell you the reality, but the Bible is clear. We're at enmity with God. We are sinners. We are in rebellion against him and our relationship with him is broken. We are lost. We are without hope. We face condemnation. You know, when we think about our lives, you know, we all speak bitter words. We know what it is to, to live an unholy life. But the word of God comes to us and says, you know, here is the good news. Christ is, Appeared in this world to take away your sin. You know he's not a potential savior; he's the only savior, and he saves to the uttermost those who call on his name. And you say, "Well, well, what is involved in him saving us from our sins?" Well, let me explain for you. He came to save us from the guilt of our sin. You know, you may be here. And, you might not understand why sin is so serious or even what sin is. You know, maybe you think, well, sin is committing murder or it's being a thief and you see those things as sin and, you know, you see the people who do them as sinners, but that's not you. You know, you're not in that category. You've, you've not done anything like that and actually you may even bristle a bit at being called a sinner. But the Bible says a sinner is anyone who falls short of the glory of God, who breaks the law of God in thought, word, or deed. And that's all of us. You know, think for a moment on what are commonly known as the the Ten Commandments from Exodus 20. And let me just consider a couple with you. God said, you shall have no other gods before me. So I ask you this morning, I ask myself, have you put God first in your life at all times? If you have not, every day of your life, if you've ever put yourself before God or or somebody else or something else before God, then you're an idolater. You've broken the first commandment. What about the second commandment? You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. You know, if you and I have had any false ideas of God, and imagine thoughts about God, which are not according to his truth and reality and being, then we're guilty of idolatry and superstition. What about the third one? You shall not tame the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. You know, that's to say we must never use the name of God carelessly. You know, people blaspheme and they don't know what they're doing. They don't realize it is a very serious sin to take God's name in vain. Now, I heard an illustration recently, a Christian lady with one of her friends from a church in America were told about a man who was sick and dying in hospital. And uh, they often used to go in and do visitation. And so they were asked to call on this man in the ward that they were due to visit. And uh, so these ladies went and they uh, took their Bibles with them. And as they're about to walk on the ward, they could hear this man from the corridor cursing and swearing and using the name of the Lord Jesus in a terrible way. And they they didn't know what to do. And the lady who was sharing this illustration said that she thought there was no way that they were going to be able to, to speak with this man or help this man, especially with all of his blasphemy and anger. And so she asked the Lord for help. And she went up to him and said, I see that you know my Lord because you seem to be using his name a lot. And the man looked at her and went very pale. And he said, well, what do you mean? And so she said again, you're using the name of my Lord Jesus a lot, so you must know him. And he got paler and paler and eventually began to weep. And he said, my mother was a Christian and she taught me the Bible when I was growing up, but I have lived a wicked life. And now here I am dying at the end of my life. My mother was a Christian. She's now gone to heaven and I will never see her again. And he began to pour out his heart and speak and confess his foolishness and his blindness and his wickedness. And so the opportunity presented itself for these ladies. And they were able to say to this man, the Lord Jesus came for sinners. And if he would repent and believe in the Savior, that even he could be forgiven and have the hope that his mother had. Well, by the grace of God, the man did just that. He believed. He had the the joy of forgiveness, and new life in Christ, the, the joy of heaven in his heart, and the name that had been a curse to him was now his greatest blessing. You know, we could go through and we could look at all the other commandments as well, but sin is breaking them in thought, word, or deed. We're all guilty. You know, we can so easily break them even in our own thoughts without anyone seeing or hearing anything. You know, just think when we're alone with our thoughts at night and maybe there are times when the most terrible things come into our minds and some may say, well, thoughts, they don't hurt anyone else, but God sees. I wonder if you ever thought about that. He sees our thoughts. He he knows our minds. He, He sees those things that we would be ashamed of if anyone else had access to them. You know, we can sin with our minds and our imaginations without speaking a, a single word and nobody knows about it. But he does. He said, well, we're undone. What hope is there? Jesus came to wash away filthy thoughts, filthy lives that we all have. And he came to save sinners like us from sin, its guilt and his power. And he came to save us from the devil. You know, in our natural state, we are under the sway of the enemy. You see the effects of that all around. Terrible things happening in the world. And we're taking aback at times at the, the wickedness of people and what they're capable of. And not only are people sinners, but by nature, the devil has power over their wicked hearts. Well, Jesus came to deliver people from that, to release them from their bondage, to break their chains. And he came to save us out of this evil world. This world wasn't created like it is now. Since the fall, man's rebellion against God, sin is ruined. And this this world is an evil world. And this world hates God. Wants to go its own way. The spirit of the world, this world that crucified the Lord Jesus and one day will be judged. And yet into this world, the Lord Jesus came. And he came to save us from hell. You know, it's not easy to speak about hell, but it is a real place. The Bible tells us that. There is a heaven and there is a hell, and after death, if we are condemned to hell, there is no way back. And you say, well, what does our blessed Jesus tell us about hell? Well, it is so awful. He says it is eternal torment in fire forever, under the curse of God, darkness forever, eternal suffering where the worm never dies and the the fire never goes out. And there are millions of others condemned and in this this terrible condition, weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. It's an awful, awful thing. And you say, well, why does God put people there? Well, they're sinners. And it's the punishment they, and we all deserve. And why does God spare any? Why are we not all condemned? Simply because of the unspeakable kindness and grace and mercy of God, he has sent his son. And there is only one way to be delivered. Only one way to be saved. And that is through Jesus. You shall call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And you know, there is great comfort for us who know him. He will save us. He will keep us. Who are his people? Those who believe in him. Those who trust in him. And God's own son came into the world to rescue, to redeem us. He took on our nature. He lived that perfect life. He died on that cruel cross for our sin and he will raise us up if we trust in him. The son of God became the son of man that sinners like you and me might be made the sons of God. You know, my very dear friend, I'm not sure how often you and I will see one another's faces. You know, maybe... We're strangers to one another. We may never meet again until the judgment day. I don't know. But may I remind you, whoever you are listening here this morning, you know, like me and like the rest of us, most surely, most certainly, in the day of death, we will either go to heaven or to hell. Jesus Christ makes the difference. And if you will be saved, then trust your soul to him. See your desperate need of him and all that he is and what he has done to save you and turn from your sin and rebellion and trust in Jesus Christ alone and he will save you. And it's the most wonderful thing that you could ever receive. Salvation by the grace of God. You know, as we draw these things together, the reality is that these days are hard for the gospel. You know, and at this time of Christmas and any time, we wonder if any will believe this wonderful message of the one who come to save sinners. You know, it must be God's work to bring a, a sinner to believe the gospel, but, you know, we've got to be faithful in proclaiming the message. And, you know, friends, we must never give up because the gospel is the power of God. And who knows how the Lord may work, even at this time of year, maybe even this morning, You know, I want to close with a couple of illustrations to encourage us not to give up hope. Maybe of those we we love that we think they'll never come to the Lord. The gospel is the power of God. Who knows how he may work? Once heard a preacher speak of a dear lady who lived in the Highlands in Scotland. Uh, It was a good number of years ago now. And she had a husband who was not a Christian and he was a terrible drunk and he would drink every night, and often he would stumble home after a long session, and he would be so difficult to live with. He was so angry against the gospel, and it was it was not easy. And sadly, by the way, it's not uncommon. And one night, after many years of drinking, he came back as usual, and he sat down, and she had everything ready. She had a, a fire burning, she had a, a bowl of water to wash his feet, and She put him in his usual armchair beside the fire and she she fed him a good supper which he enjoyed and she washed his feet, she made him comfortable. She'd done it many times. But this particular evening, he said, my dear, why are you so good to me? You know, I'm an awful husband to you. Why are you so kind to me? And this was her opportunity and she said graciously, I do this for you for love of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if this is your idea of heaven, if this is it for you, you know, it will not last. And so I want to make your little bit of life as happy as I can before it ends in hell. What a striking thing to say. The husband was cut to the heart and in the grace of God, eventually he came to know Christ himself never give up hope never give up hope we must not give up seeking to win people for the savior praying for them loving them sharing with them the good news of jesus christ to love the lost to reach out in word and deed to go on and never be despairing because you never know the moment when jesus christ may come into their life and wash away their sins, and make them new men and women in Christ. One more as we finish. Some of you have heard of Hudson Taylor. He was a great missionary. He was a a young doctor in England, and he went to China, where the Lord used him to do a wonderful work. He was used of the Lord to be a pioneer for the gospel, and now there are millions of Christians in that land, not least owing something to the faithful witness of that man of God, Dr. James Hudson Taylor. But before he went to China, he was in a place called Hull, which was maybe not as glamorous, but as a young doctor, there he was in Hull, and he used to go around from the the different homes and houses, and he would attend to the sick. And uh, in one of these houses, there was a very sick man who was really renowned as a a wicked man who had no time for God and had lived a, a colorful life and not good. And Dr. Hudson Taylor came in and this man was lying on his bed and he attended to him and he treated him. And every time he visited him and he finished the medical side of his work, Dr. Taylor would say to this man, now, my dear friend, I just want to say a few words to you about Jesus Christ, that he came into the world to save sinners and he will save you if you believe in him. And every time this man would physically Turn away from Hudson Taylor and turn his face to the wall, and he would not listen. He set his face as though it was made of cement and hard expression against the gospel. And this went on week after week, month after month. And each time after the medical treatment, Dr. Taylor would say, Now just a little word about my Lord Jesus Christ who died for sinners. And the man would turn his face away. And then one day, as he was visiting, Dr. Taylor thought to himself, maybe something that we all think and feel at times, what's the use? What's the use? You know, I'm wasting my breath with this man. I've I've shared the gospel so many times and there's nothing. And so on that particular day, he treated this man. He put the instruments back in his case and without a word, he lifted his bag and he was going to walk away to go to the door. And the man turned to him and said, are you not going to say something else to me? You see, there's been a change in this man. And Dr. Taylor, he came running back with tears in his eyes and he said, my dear friend, Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners and he will save you if you believe in him. And I must tell you, Christ came to save your soul and the man was listening. And more than that, he trusted Christ for himself. Never give up. Never give up in sharing the gospel. You see, this Savior can save sinners, even the most unlikely. We never know the moment when these words of our text might become true and Jesus Christ in the souls and lives of sinners may become the Savior and Lord of those that we have thought previously are impossible for the gospel. Never give up. And may God grant it may be true of you if you're not a believer this morning, that you would know this Jesus, the only Savior, the one sent by God, the one who saves to the uttermost those who call on his name. May it be true for you. Amen.